Um, if you haven't met me yet, my name is Carrie. Um, on the sign it says Carrie Mario. That actually changed five weeks ago. I just got married, so <laughs> thanks. It's, uh, I've been telling people wonderfully weird because <laughs> it's just so different. Uh, but it's great, and unfortunately my husband's not here, so that's a little bummer. But um, I've been in youth ministry for a little over 13 years now, and I've served a couple churches. I've taught youth ministry as a professor at the University of Valley Forge. Uh, and so our team is the ones that kind of host this and put this on for you. So if you see somebody in a Valley Forge shirt, um, you know, just let them know you love them. They're, they're working real hard today. Uh, and um, I also serve as a volunteer youth leader, so while this is all kind of going on, I also volunteer at my church as a, as a small group leader and as a, the assistant to our youth pastor, uh, and I work there now as the operations pastor, so I, I kind of am busy a lot. Um, and today, I have the daunting task of starting what's going to be a three-day series. Um, myself, Kevin Rue, and Phil Brake are going to be talking with you about the topic of how to have a gospel-fluent youth ministry. And are we really sharing the gospel, getting to the meat of the message when we talk to our students? And so my job is to ask the question, um, are we fluent? And I feel like, um, I feel like that can be kind of like a strange or maybe like offensive question when you're talking to leaders who are working in ministry all the time to be like, well, are you actually fluent in the gospel? Uh, and I think the, you know, a lot of you are probably like me. The instinct is to be like, well, of course I'm fluent. Like I've, I was born saved. I've been a pastor for years. I know the gospel. Like, I mean, does anybody actually know the back of their hand? That's such like a weird statement. Yes. I got a yes up front. And so the impulse is to answer immediately that we, that we know the gospel, that we're gospel fluent, but I bet for most of us, we share the gospel less than we think we do. And I know in my own life, I get trapped in that realm of wisdom and good advice and not always good news. And so today we're just gonna kinda unpack and I'll just tell you up front, like I'm, I'm there with you, I'm learning with you, um, and we'll kinda talk about what the gospel really looks like and how we fluently share it in different situations. And then Kevin is gonna be here tomorrow, Kevin Rue at two o'clock, you don't wanna miss that. He's gonna address, are we literate? Meaning, do we use the gospel in all of our sermons and in our one-on-one -on -one conversations with kids? And then on, I don't know what day it is, Saturday, <laughs> Phil Brake uh, will be here and he's gonna talk about, are we effective? Are we doing behavior modification or are we really helping students be uh, spiritually transformed? And so all of these are gonna lead to gospel fluency and uh, we really want you to get that. So let's pause for one second, let's pray and, uh, and then we're gonna have a little fun before we jump into everything because after all we are youth leaders. So Jesus, thanks so much for this awesome group of leaders and pastors that are sitting here today. God, thanks that you've called them and you're equipping them to love a generation and to help that generation love you. And Lord, I pray just special blessing on them that you would give them strength and energy, that God, today as we talk about your gospel and just who you are, God, that you would uh, just be very present in our midst and that, Lord, we would walk away with new understandings. And God, I know I'm, I'm learning a whole lot more about you over the last, last little bit of time than uh, even in the first parts of my life. And so I thank you that you're the God who just continues to reveal himself to us, that, Lord, you're not far away, you're near to us. And um, I just pray you would be here in our midst now. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right. So we're going to have a little fun. And uh, I want you to either take out a notebook, your phone, whatever, uh, whatever you want to write on. 
and you are going to get two minutes to write down your definition of the gospel, okay? So think through it. If someone came to you and they were like, I keep hearing the word gospel, what's that about? What would you say to them, okay? You get two minutes to give me your best definition. I'm not going to make you, like, read them out loud or anything. We're going to do an activity with it after, but um, go ahead, and I'll give you two minutes starting right now. And I have no music, so it's going to be awkward silence. One minute left. All right, doesn't two minutes of silence feel like an eternity <laughs> to anybody else? I'm like, oh my gosh. If you're just walking in, we're not weird. We're writing down the gospel. Okay, so, um, all right, so I want you to look at your definitions. And someone had me do this. One of the pastors that I work with at our church, he was like, Carrie, let's see if you really know the gospel. And I, I failed miserably, so don't feel bad. We're just going to learn together. But um, I'm going to ask if your definition included some specific things now. You don't need to, like, raise your hand. We're not, like, we're not trying to make anybody be like, I definitely did not have that in mind. We're just going to read through some things that, like, our definition of the gospel really need to include in order for it to be the gospel. And then you can kind of just measure out and see how you did. So did your, did your definition include the following things? The brokenness of humanity, the inability to fix ourselves, the need for a substitute, one who's perfect, God's plan of redemption through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Salvation through the death of Jesus Christ, which brings us new identity as a child of God and justification from our sin or rescue from our sin or spiritual death. Got to turn the page. Uh, did it include the need for Jesus to be actively saving us, not just once, but daily from our sinful nature? So that doesn't mean like, um, we won't get into too much theology of like once saved, always saved, or things like that, but the idea of sanctification, that God is continually working to help save you from your sinful nature. Um, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to live a redeemed life now, in other words, not just you're rescued from hell, but God's giving you abundant life to live freely for him. New life, not just new birth, so the idea of regeneration. Hope in Christ for all situations we face in this life. Redemption for all creation as Christ's kingdom comes to earth. So it's not just personal, right? 
redemption is for all things. He's working in all of that. And then the hope of eternity with Christ and the truth of eternity with Christ or glorification. Right, so there's a lot of things, right? So probably nobody <laughs> some of you are like, I got it down to one sentence. And <laughs> then this was like, oh, no. Um, maybe some of you did really well. Also, I should pause and say I'm also extremely quirky, so I apologize if I'm, like, making jokes and everybody's like, what's wrong with that girl? I'm just, it's okay. I'm laughing on the inside. Um, <laughs> thank you. Maybe some of you did really well and you included a lot of those things. Maybe some of you were like me and you kind of boiled it down to, like, it's the good news about Jesus dying on the cross for us, and now we get to go to heaven. And, um, and you missed out on some of those other things. And I would say, no matter where you're at, it's okay, because we're going to learn a little bit more today. But um, here's the big truth. There's a real difference between knowing it and writing it down and knowing it and living it out, right? And the, the truth is that spiritual or gospel fluency, being able to really communicate the gospel clearly, uh, begets gospel fluency. In other words, if you're gospel fluent, if you're living it out and you're talking it through in every situation, then those around you are hearing and understanding and knowing how to talk it out. So the real question is not just are we fluent, but if I were to go to a student or a leader in your youth ministry and say, do you know the gospel, would they know the definition of the gospel? And I think that's where we kind of lose our balance a little bit in youth ministry is that we as the leaders maybe know the gospel, but our students don't. And so they walk out of youth ministry and it's like they don't know what they believe, they don't know why they believe it, they don't actually know the power of the gospel or the character of God, and so they fall into all these different things and they walk away. So the truth is it starts with us, right? We need to be fluent in order to teach fluency and we need to be fluent in everything. The gospel should inform our living, our responses, our preaching, our conversations, our self-reflection, our confession, our self-esteem, our own repentance, our forgiveness of others, our one-on-one talks with students, our mentoring, advising, discipleship, relationships, etc. Everything should be put through the lens of the gospel. And that's obviously a really tall order because none of us are perfect. But we have to remember that the gospel is continually working in our lives, right? It's not just our ticket to heaven. It's a total transformation of our lives. And sometimes we stop at, oh, I got my ticket punched, and now I I get eternity with God. But we miss out on the fact that God um, is working in our lives on a daily basis. He's helping us understand his goodness so that we can look at each situation a little bit differently. And so what does it look like? What's this mean? What even is the gospel? Uh, I want to give you a couple definitions that um, people that I've, I've kind of read and looked at, some names will sound very familiar, I'm sure, and, um, and then some scriptures, and then we're going to see how we can apply these things. So a couple different people that I've, that I've been reading that uh, give some good, good gospel definitions. The first one is Tim Keller, who I'm sure a lot of you have heard of. And he says, through the person and work of Jesus Christ, God fully accomplishes salvation for us, rescuing us from judgment for sin, and rescuing us into fellowship with him. And then he restores creation in which we can enjoy our new life together with him forever. Jeff Vanderstelt, he's a guy who I just uh, recently started reading. He wrote the book Saturate, and he also wrote a book called Gospel Fluency, which is a great, which is a great book about gospel fluency. And he says, the gospel is the good news of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, who is our king. The gospel saves and brings God's rule into our lives in order to bring the good news of his power into the world. Bless you. The gospel changes us from the inside out and spreads through our lives and lips to the world by his spirit. So the gospel is not just 
a changed identity, the idea of death to life, it's a changed life in its entirety. It doesn't just change who we are, but how we live. And it isn't just for eternity with God, but it's for abundant life today. And the thing is, like, we all can know this stuff, right? Like, none of this is like, oh, this is brand new information, Carrie. Thank you for enlightening my life. Um, it's not that. But sometimes we don't, we don't live with that in mind. A couple of scriptures that are really uh, just kind of great for this. Second um, Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Not just a Chris Tomlin song. It is the scripture. Uh, Colossians 1, I told you I was quirky, it's bad. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Colossians 1, 13 through 15 says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of our sins. And then Ephesians 2, bless you, you're okay. <laughs> Ephesians 2, 1 through, 1 through 10 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, uh, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship prepared and uh, created in Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do, right? We all, by nature, deserve death. We are broken in our humanity. We're broken in the things that we do. We're, we're not perfect people. And so because of that, we deserve death, and we don't have the ability to do enough good things or say all the right things or make ourselves look good enough to pull us out of it, and that's why we need Jesus. And it's not just we need Jesus one time to get out of our sinful state. It's that we so desperately need Jesus daily, right? We're objects of wrath, but God in his great mercy for us loves us and redeems us through his grace. And so... Um, in these definitions and scriptures, the gospel is more than just the good news that we're rescued from hell, right? If we stop there, we miss out that God can take away shame, that we can overcome temptation, that we're called to be part of a mission, that we can have hope in the midst of trial, that the fruits of the spirit can be actively growing in our lives, that the redemption plan is not just personal or global, it's cosmic, when we stop at just punching our ticket to get to heaven, we miss out on the benefits of living the gospel daily, and we miss out on a changed life. And when we stop with just come to know Jesus so you can get to heaven when we're talking to our students, we miss out on them, or we help them miss all of those things too. And so when you have those kids who are struggling not just with the sin behavior, but the root of their, their guilt and their shame, if we just tell them Jesus gets them to heaven, which is true, we miss out on helping them be redeemed from the situations that they're in and helping them get to a place where they can understand and really reflect on the goodness of God. Tim Keller says God's salvation doesn't come 
uh, in response to a changed life, a changed life comes in response to salvation offered as a free gift. When we think the gospel has anything to do with us, when we tell our kids to do better or be better or just stop doing that sin, and we think that the gospel itself has anything to do with us other than our faith in the work of Jesus Christ, we miss out um, the, on the beauty of the gospel, that God so deeply loved his creation that he did all of the work, right? He did it for us. He adopted us into his family. There's some families at our church that are adopting uh, children right now, and our pastor was talking this past Sunday, and he said, you know what the, the crazy thing about thinking of God the Father adopting us in, he said, when we look at these families in our church that are adopting children, the children aren't doing anything to get adopted, right? They're not like putting something out there like adopt me. They're babies, and they're, they're not doing any of the work. It's the initiative of the adopter. It's the, it's the love and the care and the desire and the time and the energy and the resources. It all comes from the top down to bring that person into their family and to love them, and that's how God adopts us into and when we tell our kids that they need to do something or be better instead of rest in who Jesus is, then we miss out on the beauty that God did all of it for us through Christ Jesus. Tim Keller says, the gospel is this, that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. And so as we meet with students and preach and teach and live our lives, we need to reflect those principles. We need to live with the mindset that we are deeply loved and valued and children of God, not because we're the next greatest thing since sliced bread, but because Jesus just loves us. We need to live mindful of the grace we've received, remembering that we're not in control, but we follow a God who is. We need to point students to Jesus and the gospel message that their life is changed through the power of Christ rather than telling them just to knock off a certain behavior. We need to have hope for a future with Christ and we need to point others to that hope rather than get trapped in arguments and fear mongering and all the things that go on on Facebook that really don't promote the love that is supposed to define us as God's people. So let's talk about how that looks practically because that's, that's again, a lot of things to kind of take in and understand. And I'll just say again, you know, I'm working that out in my life too. Uh, this September I'll have been following Jesus for 29 years. And um, I think that it's really only in the past like year or so that I'm starting to like really understand the gospel. Like it's not that I wasn't saved. Like I knew Jesus died for me and, and all that. And I've been a pastor for 13 years, so like... <laughs> Like, I was preaching some things, and they weren't like heresy, but I think I was missing a lot. And God's just been opening my eyes and helping me know more, and he's so gracious. Um, I know that there have been a lot of times that I have applied wrong thinking instead of gospel thinking to things, that I've given a lot of good advice and not necessarily good news. And the truth is that God is continually working on me and working on you and, uh, and helping us learn better how to do this. Uh, one of the one of the people that have really helped is a, an author that I've been reading um, that's been instrumental in helping me understand the gospel a little bit more is a guy named Tim Chester. Uh, I highly recommend his book to you. It's called You Can Change. And he writes, um, the premise of it is basically that 
every sin that goes on in people's life actually stems out of an unbelief in one area of God's character or in the gospel. And so it's not just that people, um, you know, can't get out of behaviors. They might not be able to, but it's not the behavior. He kind of gets to the root and says, if they're doing this, it's because they don't believe something about who God really is, and therefore they don't believe the gospel. And they don't nec- that doesn't necessarily mean like, they're unsaved. It just means that there's something that they're missing in their belief system. And so he talks about um, the four G's of the gospel. And he says this, he said, God is great. God is glorious. God is good. And God is gracious. And so I want to just talk through those four really quickly and talk through um, what that actually looks like in pointing students to God being each of those things. So God is great. Tim Chester says this is really about seeking control. Uh, God is great is talking about the complete sovereignty, the control that, that God has in this world and in our lives. He's in control, which means that we don't have to be. And so when we don't really believe that God is in control or when our students don't really believe that God is great, we tend to try to gain control, right? We, we work to gain control, we're anxious, we worry, uh, we wear ourselves out with busyness or frustration, we stop taking a Sabbath because we start saying the phrases, well, if I don't do it, then it's never gonna get done. And if I don't do it, I mean, who else is ever gonna step up? And I, you know, I can't take a break, I have to finish this. We micromanage, take control, refuse to delegate, and we get te- quick-tempered with those around us when they don't do it the way we want. Or we become perfectionist, and we believe that if it's not perfect, we've somehow failed everything. And I don't know about you guys, I kind of live in that spot a lot. I have a lot of things that I'm juggling all the time, and I tend to be like, no, you know what, I'll just do it, I'll just do it, I'll just do it. Like, then I'll know it gets done, then I don't have to worry about it. And it's really because deep down, there's an unbelief in me that God is great, that, that God actually is in control of the situation, so I don't have to be. I can step back. I can breathe. I can be biblical and take a Sabbath. Um, believing God is great is the truth that we can put our whole faith, our whole trust in him for all circumstances, that we don't have to live with the, de- the burden that it depends on us because the truth is that it doesn't. Um, it's living in the freedom that we serve a great and powerful God who is always working in our lives for our good and for his glory, right? And so gospel fluency in this area of God is great is pointing our students, or maybe for some of us, you're like, that's me, right? So like pointing our students or pointing to ourselves back to the truth of Jesus and reminding us that God is in control, that we don't have to be perfect in all of our endeavors. For our students, they don't have to be the perfect athlete. They don't have to have the perfect grades. And it's not give up on those things, right? It's not like, hey, guess what? Be a bad student now because God's in control. No, no, we're not doing that, right? We're just saying, hey, if you miss that goal or that basket, hey, if you got a B instead of an A and you have those kids in your group that are freaking out because they want to be perfect, they don't need to be perfect because the truth is they're not perfect, right? None of us are. And we don't have to worry about perfection because Jesus was perfect for us. God is great and he's in control and he worked that out so that Jesus could bring perfection and we could bring our brokenness to him and he could make it beautiful, right? They don't have to walk in fear, emptiness, bitterness, anxiety, depression, 
because their great God has full control of the situation and is working all things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And I'll pause and give the caveat, like sometimes we have students um, that need to, to go ahead and talk to a counselor or do some things to help with some of the clinical things, and that's not the same thing I'm talking about. Like students need help, we get them help. But sometimes, and I, I feel like in this culture more than any culture before, everything that happens is like, oh, my day is going well, I'm depressed, right? They go from like their emotional stability is non-existent, and it's because there's an unbelief that God is great. They don't, they don't focus on that, and they think everything depends on them, and it doesn't, and it doesn't depend on us either. And so we need to point them to, we need to be gospel fluent, right? We need to point them to God is the great one. He's in control. He's handling it. You don't have to be perfect. Tim Chester says God is glorious. Uh, God is glorious is about seeking approval, right? This is really talking about God being the object of our affection and our worship and recognizing how incredible he is. When we believe God is glorious, we focus our attention on the beauty of Jesus, which means that we're focused there and we're not worried about trying to get the approval of others around us. When we don't really believe that God is glorious, we stop placing him as the object of our attention and affection. We begin to live our lives to get the approval of other people because Jesus is not our standard anymore. And so we're not looking at him saying, man, God is glorious and I want to live for him. We're looking at others and we're saying, how do I get them to like me? Um, we begin to care about what others think. We fear what others may think of us. Our self-esteem suffers and we become emotionally needy people. We might become overcommitted because saying no might mean someone doesn't like us anymore. And so we don't want to do that. So we just overcommit. We hide our sins for, being fe for fear of being exposed. We lie to make ourselves look good. And our emotions, fear, anger, jealousy, happiness, etc., all depend on other people's uh, reactions to us. So we're no longer in control of our emotions. We're just driven by other people. Believing God is glorious is the truth that he is the only one that we're living for, and it's putting our respect, worship, attention, and trust in him alone. And so gospel fluency here, and I feel like this is probably a really big one that our students deal with, because how many of you have students that are constantly dealing with self-esteem issues or they're trying to get other people to like them, right? We have, I have sixth grade girls small group. It's like self-esteem deficit central. Um, gospel fluency here is helping students shift their attention and their focus from whatever else is going on to God, right? It's allowing them to encounter him on a regular basis and recognize how great, holy, powerful, beautiful, gracious, and loving he is. And where we kind of like falter here is that we spend a lot of time, or at least I know in my life, I've, I've had these moments where I'm like telling, telling my students like, no, but you know what? You're God's princess. You know, you're, you're so special and you're unique and you're a rainbow and you're a snowflake. And I don't actually say those things, but <laughs> we, we say things like, hey, I want to help you do this so you can be better. I want to help you do better. I want, I want to help bolster your self-esteem because God wants us to, to feel good about who we are. And it's not that, that we shouldn't feel good about who we are, but when we fight the fear of man with trying to teach them ways that they can bolster their self-esteem, we've just put the focus back on them. And then when they fail at it again, they just go deeper in that self-esteem deficit. And so we don't fight the fear of man. 
with the fear of man. We fight the fear of man with the fear of God. We refocus their attention. The fear of God is liberating because we can serve him out of the truth that he loved us first. We didn't have to do anything to gain his approval or his affections or anything. He created us, and so he loves us, and so he pursues us, and he rescues us. And he is constantly working in us. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. He doesn't forget about us. We don't have to do anything for that. He loved us first. And when we help students shift their focus away from, here's how you can feel better about your life, to did you know that there's a God who did all this for you? And not, there's a God who did this for you because you're so great and he loves you. There's a God who did this for you that even though we're messed up, he loves you. He came to you in your imperfection and he loves you. All the things you're doing to try to win approval, you're going to have to keep doing to win approval from people. But did you know with God, you don't have to do anything. You just put your trust in him and he loves you and accepts you exactly where you are. We refocus their attention on the gloriousness of our, of our God, of our king. And so God is great. He's in control. God is glorious. He approves of us because of Jesus. The third thing that Tim Chester says is that God is good. And this one's really about seeking comfort. Um, God is good is really about how God and is the only one who can really satisfy us. Right, which means that we don't have to look other places to find satisfaction or fulfillment or pleasure or joy or our identity. All of those things are wrapped up in the fact that God is good. He's the only truly good thing. And so when we don't really believe that God is good, we look to other things to satisfy us. And, <coughs> excuse me. What really happens here is it's not just looking to things that could be bad for us, like addictive things, but Satan uses this one, I think, probably more than anything else because he takes things that are, that are initially like okay things, that it could be good things, right, and he turns them into God things in our minds. He tricks us into believing that we need those things that could be good, um, in order to really be satisfied. And so what happens is we fall into being idolaters. We place things in a position that says, I can only get satisfaction here. Um, lost my place. Uh, and so believing God is good is the truth that he only satisfies. He gives true and lasting satisfaction, fulfillment. He gives us meaning for our life, and he gives us our identity. Uh, gospel fluency here is helping students believe that their identity comes from Jesus alone. Tim Keller says the Bible says our real problem is that every one of us is building our identity on something besides Jesus. The real problem is that, some, that every one of us is building our identity on something besides Jesus. Gospel fluency is helping your students realize that they need Jesus. They don't need to go out and find the next best thing. They don't need to use substances, food, drink, exercise, sleep, sex, relationships, etc., to feel fulfilled in life because true and lasting fulfillment comes from Jesus. And so notice not all of those things are bad, right? Like we want our kids to exercise. We want our kids to sleep, especially at creation. Amen. Right? We <laughs> even my like I'm here with college students and they were it was like one o'clock before I was like, I need to go to the shower house. You all need to go to bed. Like <laughs> it's one AM, but that's what we do. And so we, we want them to have sleep, right? We want them to eat food. We want them to, you know, be in relationship with other people, but uh, not like that, but you know what I'm saying. Um, but sometimes those things get turned to God things, right? 
we put those at places or students put those at places that it's like, man, if I don't have this, I'm not fulfilled. But God is good means that they look to Jesus and say, hey, all of my satisfaction identity comes from here. And I don't need to go chasing after all these things. And notice that when you're when we're talking about helping students understand this, we're not going to the behavior itself, right? We're not saying to students, hey, you know what? Um, you really should knock off that relationship because it's not good for you. Hey, you know what? Like, I know that you, you know, really love that substance, but it's not the behavior. We're not going for the behavior. We're going for the root. Why do they really believe they need that thing? It's because somewhere they don't believe that God is good enough to fulfill them. When we address that, when we help them understand why God is good enough to fulfill them, that helps them get out of the behavior. If we only go after the behavior, like, then they'll find a different way to do it that you can't find out about, right? Like, teenagers are smart and tricky, right? So we, we need to get away from just going for behavior modification, and we need to get to a place where we're helping them identify, okay, why do I actually believe that? Um, why, why is it that I don't believe that God is good? If I really believe God is good, how would that change or shape my life? How would I live differently if God was the one who satisfied me? When we ask our students those types of questions and we dig down deep with them, it changes what the actual issue is, which is their belief system, not their behavioral system. And Phil Brake is going to talk a lot more about that specifically on Saturday, so I would strongly encourage you to come back for that. Um, we need to help our students step out of the idolatry thing and, they, and, and believe that God really is good. And I think for all of us, checking our own hearts and lives and going, okay, why did I decide to follow Jesus? And how has God been good in my life? It's not just that he's, you know, he's, I don't know what I was going to say there, so I'm going to stop. But <laughs> I, it's, not, it's not, I think we need to help students see that story in our lives right? Like, we need to help them understand why God is so good. And if we don't know that for ourselves, um, that's, that's an issue that we need to deal with and we need to figure out uh, because that can be, that can be kind of scary. And I know I've had to go back and evaluate that, that in my own life too. Like, well, why did I start following God and why is he good and why can I trust him in all these things? Uh, and when we have that and we can share those stories with students rather than just, hey, listen, if you, you know, if you do this behavior, this is going to be the consequence Students don't care about the consequence. They get to the root and help them understand what they believe. So God is great. God is glorious. God is good. The fourth thing is that God is gracious. God is gracious. And Tim Chester says this is really about seeking power. So God is gracious is understanding, that the, gracio understanding the graciousness of God and what he's done for us is what makes us valuable and worthy, which means that we don't have to prove ourselves. And when we don't believe that God is gracious, we end up taking on responsibilities and burdens in order to gain influence. Um, our goal becomes trying to prove to others that we have it all together. It's like the church thing of like you're, you're kind of dying inside and people are like, oh, how are you? And you're like, I'm good. I'm real good. It's been nice talking to you. And you don't really get to the root of what's going on, right? We want people to think we're okay. We avoid instances where we may face uh, humiliation of any kind, even a little bit. We believe that our standing with God depends on us and our actions, i.e., if we let him down, our prayer goes unanswered, and then we begin to treat others. It actually breeds us to treat others the same way. So when someone lets us down, we don't meet it with grace like God does. 
we meet it with a cold shoulder or disappointment or a harsh word. And so it changes our behavior when we don't believe that God is gracious. Believing God is gracious is the truth that God justifies us and gives us value through the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's not because we're awesome or we deserve it, but because God gives us what we don't deserve. And that in itself is the very definition of grace, right? He holds back wrath, which is what we deserve. Uh, in the book um, that, that uh, Jeff Vanderselt writes, the Gospel Fluency one, he says that um, his kids are going on a vacation and his kids are in the back seat doing like the, are we there yet? I'm hot. She's touching me. He ate my chicken nuggets. He took the head off my Barbie. Like the whole thing. And he said, uh, he goes, we, we train our kids in Gospel Fluency. So I pulled her on the side of the road. I got out of the van and I said, what do you all deserve? And they were like, death. <laughs> and he's like... <laughs> <laughs> so I'm reading this. I'm like, is this good parenting? Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> so, but that's the truth, right? Man, that, that actually is what we deserve. We deserve death, and yet God gives us grace. He doesn't meet our imperfection with, like, a, a strong hand. He meets us with acceptance and love. It doesn't mean that we avoid the consequence of sin, but it does mean that he constantly is working to help redirect us. Gospel fluency in this area is reminding students that, that what Jesus did for them, right? It's reminding them that when we were at our worst, when we had broken souls and bad attitudes, when we were very enemies of God, it was then that he chose to send Jesus and die for us, right? It wasn't when we were good enough. It wasn't we proved ourselves to God and so he showed up on the scene. It was when we were messed up and couldn't get out of our mess that Jesus came. Our value doesn't come from our performance, our skills, our personalities. It's because of Christ and Christ alone. And if we don't help our students see that, then they're constantly working not just for the approval of others, but because they feel like they need to earn love. And for a lot of them, they're coming out of homes where that's true, right? I got to do this so dad's not mad. I need to do this so mom thinks I'm great. And we don't want them to have the same picture of God. We want them to understand that God is gracious, that their value doesn't come from the things that they do, but because of Jesus and the free gift that he gave. They don't have to strive for power or influence. They don't have to prove themselves to anyone. They don't have to base their worth on their actions or abilities because Jesus has done it all for them. And he allowed his righteousness to become ours so we have total freedom in the graciousness of God. All right, so that's a lot of things, right? How does this play out in real life? Um, I wanna wrap up by telling you two stories. One is a personal story, just kind of how this is working in my life recently, and one is a story about how we've used this to help some students in our youth ministry. So recently, um, I, uh, I got an email from a place that I've done ministry with for a bunch of years, and, and uh, they kind of were, I held kind of a substantial leadership role there, and they were letting me know that that role is kind of ending, and, you know, it was one of those weird emails. And essentially, the timeline that they, they gave me to end some of the things we were doing overlapped with some volunteer work I was doing for them, and it was kind of one of those awkward emails of, you know, I had to respond back like, hey, did you forget I'm working for you? <laughs> like, wow, you're telling me to stop this? And they were like, oh, yeah, I forgot that you, I forgot that you still did stuff for us. You know, finish with excellence, but don't really interact with people. And it, it's hard without giving a lot of detail, but it, it was just a very hurtful email. And so 
my thoughts, if I'm being truthful, and if you've been in ministry for, you know, more than 10 minutes, you've probably been hurt in ministry. And so um, I would love to say, like, the gospel came to me, and I was just like, well, I'm going to respond in graciousness. I didn't. I actually, if I'm going to be really honest, got really angry. I said a lot of phrases like, well, how about saying thank you for my many years of service? Like, what about all the things I've done for you? I'm going to... Uh, you know, they always treat people this way. It's not like I'm asking for anything, just a thank you. I'm going to tell people how awful this is, blah, 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 all those kinds of things. And I was expressing my frustration to my husband, and he began to ask me questions regarding why I felt this way, and aren't spouses great for reminding you how you don't look like Jesus? And so uh, through talking and prayer and just um, the Holy Spirit working in my life, here's what I realized. I wasn't actually upset about their email. I mean, I was, but I was actually upset because I was applying wrong thinking instead of gospel thinking to this situation. It could seem like I deserved a thank you or that people were being unappreciative, and that might be true, but the reality is my offense about the situation was because I had a a wrong belief about the character of God and the gospel. I didn't believe that God was glorious or gracious, and so at the root of it, I was upset because I felt like I, desi- I deserved appreciation and approval and recognition from people. But here was the truth that Jesus so gently reminded me of. Because Jesus exchanged his righteousness for mine and died in my place, I didn't really deserve anything, but I'm accepted by God. Because of that, I don't need the approval of man or even a thank you. And sometimes in ministry, we, we don't get thank yous a lot. Um, but I don't need that because in order, and I don't need that in order to feel like I'm valuable, right? Because God deeply loves me. And because he's good and he's gracious and he's great and he's glorious, he, I can just serve him. Instead of trying to impress people or get their accolades, I can rest in his finished work that he did on my behalf because he accomplished it for me. And I just got to be part of the process of doing ministry somewhere. It wasn't rising and falling on Carrie Mario slash Brooks. Um, Don't tell him I rolled my eyes when I said that. Um, (laughs) But if people don't recognize me or know me or say thank you or anything like that, it doesn't matter because God sees me and he accepts me not because of anything I've done, not because of the good work and the time and the effort and the hours, but because of Jesus. He doesn't base his approval on me because I do good works. He bases his approval of me because Jesus died in my place. And when he sees me because I love Jesus, he sees Jesus. And I needed that gospel reminder. And it's not like I realized that and then I was like, I'm definitely not offended anymore. No, it's a process I'm working through of going like, wow, the gospel really is impactful, but you really have to put all your hope in that. How does this work with students? Uh, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm a volunteer youth leader at my church. This year I get the amazing honor of being, uh, I've been working with this youth group for six years, and I get the amazing honor of being the girls, sixth grade girls, small group leader. And let me tell you, the O's from the front row are correct. Um, sixth graders are wild. Okay, so recently I sat with my small group. We we'd had a discussion about how, uh, well, we just had a discussion about a thousand things, right? Because they're sixth grade girls. So they're just like, blah, 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 I saw a turkey. I did this. I went here. I went there. They're just like everywhere. And you're like, let's, what are we talking about? Let's get to it. And so our group um, had started talking about how 
man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And uh, we started talking about how, how do they feel about that? How does it feel that God looks at your heart? He's not worried about, like, what you're wearing and all that kind of stuff. And this one girl in our group pipes up. I just love sixth graders. And she's like, well, my sister is really popular, like, especially with the boys. And I really just want to be like that. And I'm like, oh, okay. And she's like, um, so every day when I get dressed, I go to my sister and I say, is this popular? And if she says no, I change. And I do that until she tells me it's popular and then I go to school. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, so the question was, how does it make you feel that God looks at your heart? That was the response, right? So I'm like, all right, let's go, you know, all right, okay. So anybody else want to respond? And then another girl said, oh, yeah, I, um, I hide my uncool clothes so that I don't have to wear them, and I tell my mom I grew out of them, and so she gets me cooler clothes. And I'm like, oh, and then a third girl chimes in, and she says, I actually bring another outfit to school, and when I see how people respond to me, I throw that out, the outfit I'm wearing, I throw it away, I put on a new outfit, and I see how people respond to that, and when my mom asks where my clothes were, I tell her, oh, I grew out of them, or they got stolen, and then she buys me new stuff. So I'm like, all right, <laughs> this is like, this is like middle school, you know, right. This is obviously a heartbreaking and awkward conversation. There's 12-year-old girls, and there's a lot happening here, right? They're basing all their value, worth, self-esteem, about what people think of their clothing. They're looking to others for approval. They clearly don't think highly of themselves. They're lying to their parents. They're being very tricky, like, Mom, my clothes got stolen right off of my body at school. <laughs> at school when I was walking down the hall and thankfully I had a second change of clothes. Like, I'm like, what mom is like, yes, let's go to Forever 21 right now. Like, like, oh my gosh. But they're lying to parents, they're being tricky, and really, if we're gonna be <laughs> real honest, right, if they're trying to get a reaction from other people, not being so modest. And so I, my first instinct, right, is not, it's not always like gospel fluency. My first instinct was like, you lied to your mom? Like, what's wrong? Your mom is so great, though. Like, what's wrong with you? And so I was kind of like, all right, we need to talk about all these behaviors. And then, like, that quiet, still voice of like, well, what's, what's the root here, Care? What's actually going on? And so instead of attacking the fruit, we went to the root, right? Our group spent a lot of time talking about why they felt that way. And so we asked them questions like, hey, why, do, why is it important to you what people think about what you're wearing? Why do you think that it really matters? If you really believe that God looks at your, your inside, your heart, and not what you're wearing, how would that change your behavior? Like tomorrow if you got up and you just trusted that God approved of you, would that change anything you did today? How would it change how you talked, how you lived, how you responded to other people? Here's what we found out when we asked the questions. They started kind of answering the whys. I want people to approve of me and think I'm cool. Why? So I don't get picked on, and so people will accept me. Why? Well, because people's acceptance of me matters. Why? Well, because I don't accept myself. I don't like what I look like. I don't like who I am. I think I'm more valuable when other people think I'm valuable. Well, what really do you believe then? I don't believe what Jesus did on the cross is enough to make me acceptable to God. So I have to get others to like me because others' opinions are more important to me than God's opinion. Now, we can address the clothing and the lying, or we can address the unbelief. 
and addressing the root, helping a student realize what they do or don't believe about God helps us really unpack and help them get to a right belief and a gospel belief. And so I have a group of 10 little sixth grade girls who each week were talking through those things. What do you believe about God this week? How can I help you understand how God is good? And we're working through that. There's the root, right? They're not unsaved girls. They love God, but they have some unbelief about parts of who God is. And so they're fighting to stay in control, right? They don't believe God is glorious, so they need approval of others. They don't believe God is good, so they're controlling as much as they can as what others think of them. They don't believe God is gracious, so they don't believe God that Jesus has already made them valuable through his death and resurrection. But the truth is we can address those things, right? We can help them. I can tell them all day that they shouldn't lie, that they're beautiful princesses of God, that they should honor their parents. But at the end of the day, you can pull rotten fruit off a tree, and that doesn't mean that the fruit stops being rotten that's produced. You have to get to the root of the issue. And so we stopped plucking the fruit, and we started working on the root, and we're, we're working to see the gospel change them. And it takes time, right? Like, this is, this is what happened three weeks ago in youth group, so it's not like we've been working on it a long time. Three weeks, you know, the one girl was like, I didn't throw any clothes away this week. Yes, praise <laughs> the Lord. You know what? We're going to celebrate and buy y'all ice cream because we're going to celebrate whatever you want rewarded or repeated, you reward, right? So we just like, we're really excited about that, but it takes time. It takes intentionality. It takes us being fluent. It takes us taking a minute to not just jump on a behavior or think something in our own heads, but to ask ourselves why and get down to the root issue um, and believing it in our own lives is going to help us be better, and we're all working on it together. So um, we really want you guys to get that this week, and like I said, Kevin will be here tomorrow. Phil will be here on Saturday. Over on this table, either in a bag or there's a stack of these if you don't want to take a bag, uh, there's these little half sheets. They, these are all podcasts, sermons, books, resources, things that are really great with gospel fluency that Phil, Kevin, and I put together, um, books that we're reading that are just like blowing our minds about how we handle things in youth ministry, and uh, they're really great things. People like Jeff Vanderstelt, David Hurtwick, Matt Chandler, Tim Chester, Greg Gilbert, Doug Fields, Duffy Robbins. They're great, great resources. I just encourage you, grab that. If there's not any more over there, come see me. I will email it to you, uh, but we want to get it in your hands so that you can start looking through and, and changing this topic in your own life. So let me pray for you guys really quick, and then I'll be around if anybody has anything to say. And at 3 o'clock, we have a scripture union. No, 3 o'clock, we have a talk back with Brian Campbell. So you want to stay around for that. All right, let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are good. Lord, thank you that you are great and glorious and gracious and that, God, you have already accomplished everything for us. And, Lord, it's just us trying to figure out how to look to you in each of those things and to remember those things and apply them to our lives. And, Lord, I just pray that you would help all of us, me included, to apply the gospel um, to each situation, that, God, we would be gospel-fluent pastors and leaders so that our students will really know you. And uh, it's not easy sometimes, God. It's, it's not that the gospel is unsimple, but, Lord, it's so easy as humans to just jump to the behavior and to miss out on why it's happening. And I pray that you would just give us wisdom, that we would hear your Holy Spirit just um, gently prompting us uh, to see the root issues 
and to really learn how to talk about you in a way um, that helps students know you more than just their ticket to heaven, but as someone who will radically change our lives and help us to live abundant life now. God, you're so good, and we love you, and I just thank you for these pastors and leaders and their impact on the next generation. Be with them the rest of this day, I pray. I ask this in your name. Amen.